Welcome to Vitals, where we explore the most pressing topics in healthcare and data. Today, we're getting a pulse on the challenges healthcare leaders are facing. Joining us are Jesse Cardello, Senior Account Executive at Arcadia, and Jake Tinkham, Senior Account Executive at Arcadia. Together, they'll cover key challenges healthcare organizations are facing today, including physician burnout, leakage, workforce strain, and financial instability, how leaders from top ACOs, CINs, and health systems are deploying data-driven strategies to tackle these challenges and prepare for the future, and why new approaches in data management, analytics, and automation will transform your organization to succeed in uncertain times. All right, let's get this conversation started. Thanks, Mike. Um, Happy to be here. Just two weeks ago, uh, we hosted our annual users group uh, called Aggregate. What were some of the most common challenges you heard customers talking about in the hallways? Hmm. Jesse, I'm going to start Where with you. Start? Yeah, we heard some interesting things, some, um, some trends that have been going on for quite some time. So there's always budget constraints. Um, there's always been sort of staffing concerns. Um, but now we're hearing that, you know, with burnout with their physicians, we've heard that before, but um, retention in their network. So recruiting efforts to make sure that they're fully staffed, both for PCPs and all their specialists. Um, and we're also hearing a lot about keeping their providers engaged on the things that need to be done for full patient care um, within their network. So. Um, like I said, some of those trends are old, but we're hearing that there's a real strain on budgets, um, staffing concerns, both on the physician side and within their own corporate organization. And Jake, were you hearing similar things uh, in the hallways at Aggregate from your customers? Uh, are there any other challenges that maybe Jesse didn't cover? Yeah, thanks, Mike. Uh, but yes, a lot of what Jesse highlighted, um, I think, you know, costs and staffing uh, were some big ones that came up, which we're going to talk about later today. I think something that maybe uh, isn't on the docket today that was a theme is really around just the data quality and val validation. Um, I had a customer who said, you know, what we're doing here is really, really hard. And there's just data just all over the place, whether it's through the EMR, whether it's through claims, whether it's wearable devices, um, data is just simply everywhere. And so um, being able to harness the data and really go through the validation efforts to some of those providers. And as she described, you know, seeing the forest through the trees, it's not always perfect. And she said that she said, it's not always perfect, but we know that we can correct it where needed, but we still need to stay the course. Um, because that's the future of healthcare is really relying and harnessing that data. So that was another challenge, I think, that um, maybe maybe we have on the docket today. But other than that, a lot of things that we have to discuss. Yeah, that's not officially on the docket today, but I think there's <laughs> an opportunity a little bit later on to explore that. I really like that. And if it's something that um, is a major concern, you know, that's what we're here to discuss today. Um, but the first thing I want to pull up is uh, we, we found this little stat uh, that $135 billion are projected um, uh, to labor and, and non-labor expenses for hospitals in 2022. Um, so a big increase in costs. Uh, and costs are rising across the board. Um, 
How do we manage these costs? What are some of the things that you are seeing customers doing or that you're consulting with customers um, or just seeing in the industry uh, that, you know, help with this rising uh, costs? Jake, you want to you want to go ahead and give it a give this conversation a start? Yeah, well, I, I hate to say I don't have the, you know, the magic answer for all the costs that we're going through right now. But I think something first, a trend um, first, followed by action second and a trend uh, really is that what we see right now is, you know, you hear in the news, you know, we're out of this pandemic. Uh, we just talked about our aggregate conference uh, where all of us are together. No one, you know, little to no masks and you know, sports seasons. Everyone's going to all the events. Um, while the pandemic may be ended from a you know, society point of view, being able to go out, it really hasn't ended at, at all from a cost perspective. Um, and I had a customer that actually we just worked on this last week. Um, and the trend is really that the rebound is greater than the drop. And what I mean by that, using just arbitrary numbers here, is in 2019, you know, if a customer might be had costs of $100 million, in 2020, those dropped to maybe 75 million due to the pandemic and no one see, seeking care. But as we look at the cost data now for 2021 and 2022, it's not that the drop from 100 to 75 is just made back up and you go back to 100 or even 125. No, it's actually maybe 175 million, maybe even more. And so that percentage of drop um, is much, much less than the percentage um, of the rebound, so to speak, or spike and in increase in costs um, from 2019 to 2021 in retrospect. So it's been really interesting. Um, we I had a customer that we did that analysis on and um, I do need to follow up with them uh, because their board meeting was this week, but they were actually taking that to their board and to their payers to really explain that we're not out of this pandemic. There's still um, the cost from the rebound from all these patients coming in that weren't seeking care that should have, well, they're coming back, they're much sicker. Uh, they're much more complex patients, which increase care. And on top of that, we're seeing a spike with inflation. So a lot of the customers are getting hit, kind of a double whammy there. And that's not even to, I mean, I haven't even mentioned the staffing uh, piece, which we'll get into a little bit later. Um, something I think, you know, that was a trend I noticed when it comes to action, um, I do, did speak to some customers at Aggregate who really within their network are trying to find initiatives to, for their high cost drivers. And what can they do as a collective network to lower, lower those, um, whether that's lowering ED utilization or testing for um, back pain. I know one that said we actually have a, we're trying to educate ED docs that just because someone comes in for back pain doesn't necessarily mean that they need to get an MRI right away. Um, there's a lot of strategies and mitigation plans to address um, back pain that are much lower cost, but it's, you know, what sometimes even they said they've been working with uh, chiropractors as well. Um, but it's got to come from the whole network, utilizing that data to see where those cost drivers are and being able to work within your network and finding those areas of success. You're not, you know, Rome wasn't built overnight. You're not going to be able to solve everyone, but to find the initiatives that you find are low-hanging fruit to uh, try to lower some of those costs in the interim. Great, that's an incredible overview of, of the problem. And I think as we continue this conversation, we'll dig into various parts of that. Um, Jesse, I wanna, I wanna give you an opportunity to respond um, 
to the rising costs in healthcare as well, or, or yeah, the rising costs um, for healthcare organizations. Yeah, and it's it, Jake sort of touched on this. I mean, to some degree, we have you know just you know we talked before uh, just an immense amount of data. Um, some of our clients. Um, and just health systems in general almost have this like analysis paralysis of like, okay, what is this data telling me? What can I do with it? And, um, you know, not all high cost is bad. I mean, that's what we're seeing in our data. So we have some patients that are getting the right level of care that is expensive. That's a whole other discussion of the cost of, of, you know, the delivery of, of good care. Um, but the trends that we're seeing with hospital systems and health systems and physicians and, and leadership, that they're trying to kind of crack that model of delivery um, and starts with the data. So, you know, we're identifying who's our high risk, high cost patients that have comorbidities that are um, need that care, need care management. Um, then you have your other quadrant of folks that are um, rising risk. The data can t can tell you that. It will show you the trends of folks that are on that trajectory um, to probably getting more expensive care. Um, it, you know, we really want to make sure that they're getting the right care. Then you have this wedge of patients that are not sick. They're not rising risk. And those, those are the patients that we really need to put our resources into to make sure that they're engaged um, in taking care of their own health, being accountable um, to taking care of themselves, being engaged in their network. That long-term game um, that our health systems are, are trying to plan for will ultimately help manage those costs. Um, so there's no instant gratification solution that we can do through payer contracting or some, you know, sort of slick campaign. It's it's really a long game, making sure that your patients that are aging, um, getting sicker, um, know how to really engage with their own health. Um, and I think the hospital systems and the health systems are trying to create this non-traditional, like Jake said, um, tools to maintain that good health and keep those costs down. So I think you both touched on um, kind of a, a larger trend here. You know, margins are tighter, costs are going up. And then you, you also touched on a solution. So the solution is in employing data to the benefit of finding who those complex patients with uh, increased uh, comorbidities and problems are, get, getting them more treatment, better treatment, the treatment that they need while helping um, patients who are already healthy remain healthy so that they don't mm -hmm. cause an undue burden on the system mm -hmm. while physicians are trying to tackle this challenge of these increasingly complex patients coming out of the pandemic, kind of um, clawing back out from the, the, um, the, the, the effects of the pandemic where um, you know, they need to uh, make up for lost time and right. help these patients get healthier again, who maybe uh, let their health slip during that time. And you both alluded to the fact of uh, data and technology and insights can really help you get there. I think what's on most people's minds who maybe haven't uh, traversed into this territory is, where do we even start? How do we, you know, there's so much data. I think you said it, Jesse, there's an analysis paralysis. Yeah. Where do we start? And um, what do we tackle first? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a big question, and you know, if we, you know, want to look at the data and look at our patients that are in need of care um, and support and sort of more of heavy touch from our care management friends, nurse staff, um, ED, urgent care, pharmaceuticals, like you're sort of looking at, it's like healthcare is a whole bunch of industries sort of crammed into one. And I think that's what makes like our data um, really rich because you're seeing so many different views of, you know, all these different industries sort of um, in one application um, compressed to, to show a story for one patient. Um, it's really important to make sure that those in need are getting the right level of care. So whether that they have rising risk and comorbidities or there's, you know, um, situations where there's uh, a housing or food insecurity, um, you know, it, it runs that whole gamut. Making sure the, the folks in your neighborhood, your network, um, that geography are actually getting the care that the right, correct care that they need and education as well. Um, and you start chipping away at your population that way. And there's some metrics and there's, you know, um, you know, trends that you can actually look to see where health systems are doing really well and doing right by their patients. Um, it's easy to see looking at the data, who's very engaged, who's going to their PCP every year, who's getting their blood work done, um, just by those metrics of annual well visit. And, um, you know, that's where you start. That's you start looking at those basic quality metrics um, and then it gets way more robust and, and complex, too. So, um, you know, a first blush at data is never really enough. You really need to dig your hands into it and consistently sort of work that data. And that's why I mentioned provider engagement. It's really important. This new wave of providers are very savvy with data and technology. Um, you know, I don't think the burnout is totally related to the, the tech itself, um, but let's let them in and, and show them the, the data that we're looking at so they can understand sort of the network effect of, of healthcare. To tie it into, sorry, um, like tying to kind of what Jesse was saying and with your question of where to start, um, it really does start with a unified, you know, data platform to be pulling from. Uh, like I said, data is all over the place. It can be very, very siloed. And I would say that, you know, some of the more successful um, health systems that you do see out there uh, do have more of a single source of truth uh, to a degree that they go through all their data validation efforts to say, this is where our data is. You know, this is our foundation and core. A lot of health systems have strategic objectives. Um, I mean, they have every single year, even, you know, dating back to meaningful use and going live on EMR days. Uh, now, as we shift more to a value-based care world, um, these health systems, they're the leaders, they have their initiatives. And what we're seeing is they are now needing data to achieve some of those objectives. Um, I have a customer that I'm hoping to meet out here in the next month or two. Obviously, I have to see if the holidays schedules allow us to do this, but they do want to speak with me about their 2023 objectives. And I'm, there's a lot of them and they have, you know, here's what we want from a data perspective. Here's what we want from a reporting analytics perspective. Here's what we want from like a modules perspective and here's our end goal. And we really want all the data flowing through just a one place, you know, one-stop shop because we can't keep logging in and out of, 
you know, a payer portal because we have too many payers. I can't be logging in and out. We've got to have it unified. And when you have that unified uh, data platform, you're able to then pull from that. You're able to then achieve those objectives. So um, as I mentioned at the beginning with some of the challenges, it was that same customer who talked about data validation and said, look, it is hard. I did, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it, but we really, you have to endure it. You have to push through um, those pieces and just really start harnessing and trusting the data. And Jake, you said something uh, at the top of this about Rome wasn't built in a day. Um, and I think that plays into this idea that the data is never perfect, but you do have to trust it and you have to run with it. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing? Um, like how are, how are your customers that you work with kind of embracing that idea that, that the data is never perfect and how are they maybe, um, getting providers to trust the data? Yeah. I, I think this is really where the relationship between, um, whether it's a health system network, uh, conglomerate of, uh, networks to combine, have more of a centralized source and have those relationships with those providers. Um, I think some of the more, um, I don't necessarily want to say successful customers, maybe that is, or some that I think see them gain the most out of it. Uh, they do have a team that does do validation themselves. So it's almost like they're the gatekeepers before going out in front of those providers and also coaching them. And I had one that said, you know, honestly, this is good data and even if you know there's one or two times out of 10 where it's not, we can own that and we can build that rapport and relationship with them, but also showing them the outcome. I mean, if, if we were to just say data never works, a year goes by and then we're never able to harness it at all. Um, and so I would say that those that have that relationship to be able to speak with those engaged providers, I mean, Jesse said it, there's a lot of providers that uh, are engaged. I have one, uh, I'm based here in Chicago. I have one I know um, and kind of here in Chicago who told me, Jake, I'm kind of a nerd, you know, I'm, I'm a doctor, but I really like data. And I said, but that's great. You know, there's, that's what's needed. So um, I think that it's finding some of those champions um, on the provider side as well to be able to engage with other providers um, around the end goal of saying, you know, I understand it may not be perfect today, um, and honestly, will it ever be perfect? Healthcare is incredibly reactive. It's just, it's a, it's a reactive industry. Um, I mean, that's why the ED is there. I mean, the ED does not, can't anticipate what's going to happen that day. So it's a very reactive industry by its nature of taking care of patients. Uh, it's a very gray industry. So being able to see, you know, the end goal and be able to harness what is there and work with the providers and have that rapport and relationship, I think is really key. And Jesse, I, I know that um, kind of playing into this idea, you're a champion for good design in healthcare technology. Yes. And a big part of trusting data is trusting the technology that you're using. Can you talk a little mm -hmm. bit about that? Oh boy, where do I start? <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, I have a very strong um, passion for good design, whether that's visually through like a patient portal or when I'm walking into my doctor's office, um, that interaction 
um, when I'm done with my annual well visit, the convenience of having a blood lab next door, that's all part of the patient experience. It's part of design. Your data can actually tell you that, how many people are getting their blood drawn after their um, after their wellness visit. Is it because the hospital's 10 miles away or because the lab's like within the same you know building? Um, and I think going back to what Jake was talking about, that that actually plays a role in when you're trying to educate your business unit, your network, your providers, your nurses, your doctors, your CEOs about the health of your population. And um, I know we were sort of laughing about um, my analogy about, you know, once a quarter, once a month, I'm getting um, a notification from my electric company saying it's just a three bars. It's like, you know, my usage, the neighborhood's usage and the, and the folks that are using like the lowest amount. And I'm always in the middle. I'm never in the like really killing it on like low electricity. It's not telling me like this, I'm using this much from my stove or this much from my radiators or this much from my AC unit. It's just telling me that I could probably do better and using less electricity or less gas or whatever that metric's telling me. And I think we probably dare I say it, you know, it's a really good design. It's very compelling. I can tell you right now, I'm running around my house, like turning off lights and doing all these things. I, my first instinct isn't to say, this is, this can't be true. This is not right. And then do nothing about it. Um, I think we can take our data and simplify it and directionally give physicians and our, you know, our hospitals a view of what's happening in our population and directionally, you know, do our patients need more diabetic education? Our, you know, what does our pharmacy cost look like? And and we can look at neighborhoods, like I said before, and um, we can compare you to other clients and, and, and look at patient to patient, doctor to doctor, specialist to specialist. You can see directionally what needs to be done. Um, and I think sometimes we just get lost in the details and design sort of suffers that. And I think it needs to be a bigger part of how we deliver healthcare too. Um, like I said, patient experience is huge. Um, and that that goes all the way from telemedicine, your experience in the ER, PC, P visit, you know, your patient portal. Um, how easy it is to communicate with your your PCP. It's it's all of those things, and all of those things can po be positively impacted by really good design. And and the data will actually point you in the right direction. It will give you sort of like these context clues, what's working, what's not. If you if you really dig in. And I have a couple of points to that. I mean, first on a lighter note, Jesse, I think you said you have kids that just are on Facetime literally like their entire day. Constantly. So maybe maybe they that could. It. I'm sure it'd go over real well if you, you told them to not do that and just, you know, yeah. save electricity. Um, right. But to Jesse's yeah. point, it really, it is the design. And I would say there are two things on that point um, is that the networks, you know, you know, I would challenge to a degree, you know, that um, some of our customers, they, they know their providers better than we do. Um, and that is both for good and, you know, for better or for worse. Um, I've had interesting conversations with a lot of customers on that front, but the point is they know their providers. They know how the data is should be displayed in front of them for them to truly leverage it. And that's something you know, we, we can think of all the tools and formatting that we can, but ultimately it is, you know, what is gonna be what is gonna drive more the provider's attention the most. 
Um, so it's how is it, how are those networks able to engage with those providers and provide that data um, and the most, you know, kind of appeasing way for them. Uh, and then the second thing is you know, providers are very competitive. I mean, when you're able to say, no, actually this clinic over here or this, you know, PCP is, you know, always performing better. And the, there's always reasons, you know, sometimes it's not really the provider's fault. They might have sicker patients and that's, there's nothing you can really do about that. But there are ways to go, here's, here's why they're performing better. And it's not just because you have sicker patients in them. Maybe here's two things that they're doing in their workflows, harnessing the data that um, for their risk and quality that you know, we really think would be applicable to you over here. And it's those coaching efforts because, again, uh, you know, as Jesse said, like when she looks at the bar chart, oh, man, I want to get in the lower, you know, lower usage. Well, providers like that, too. They want to be the best and they look at those yeah. scorecards and their competitiveness definitely comes out with them. That's fantastic. So I love this concept of using really good design, kind of mimicking what other industries are doing and applying it yeah. to improve performance within our provider networks, um, maybe even get patients more engaged with their providers through a similar yeah. uh, design for those patient-facing applications and communications. Um, th this is, uh, for me, it's also like, there's a part of it that's storytelling, right? Like we're all, especially doctors, um, people in healthcare, people who run big organizations, we like to think of ourselves as logical people, but at the end of the day, like our emotions have a big sway on how we make decisions and the actions that we take. And an emotional response to an infographic like you described, Jesse, is such a good kick to do better, to... Um, yeah. like, like you were saying, Jake, to kind of drive that competitive spirit, but it's also like, yeah, there's a competition element, but it's in service of those better outcomes for patients at the yeah. end of the day and, um, increasing, you know, the, the increasing our business with our patients, um, making sure that we get them the care that they need when they need it, all of those different factors, uh, to really drive healthcare forward and make it better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's let's jump back to some of these big ideas that you you two were talking about at the beginning of, of this conversation. Uh, staff burnout is one of the biggest uh, challenges that healthcare faces right now. It's not just healthcare though. This is kind of a macro trend that's going on across the board. Um, what can healthcare organizations do to kind of help their um, their staff uh, feel less burned out, uh, be able to focus on the work that matters uh, more than just kind of being frustrated and being stressed out and not having enough time in the day to do what they need to be successful? Well, it's bigger than healthcare, that's for sure. And it's bigger than the data um, this is, you know, something that we're seeing through, we've heard from our clients and I mentioned at the top of the call that not only they sort of battling with provider retention and recruiting efforts to make sure that their network is well staffed so that they can create sort of a very cohesive closed loop process for their 
patients. Um, but there are, we're also seeing that just, you know, the folks, the administrators at hospitals and health systems, you know, they're really struggling. There's people that are doing multiple jobs and we all know when you're stretched too thin, you sort of, it's, you're unable to really like master any of those certain areas. So it's, it's problematic. And, um, you know, I, I hate to go back to this topic, but it's true. I think that, you know, what we're hearing from our clients is they're really trying to crack this model of like traditional healthcare delivery. And that includes, you know, everything from design, like I mentioned before, of creating a totally different experience for patients to get them way more engaged in their healthcare, um, to making sure that we're being a little bit more creative about um, how patients get that care. So being able to sort of spread the wealth, I guess, for the lack of a better term, uh, a client of mine had shared with me that to sort of relieve the burden of their urgent care that was just, you know, going nonstop that they um, spun up a nursing hotline um, and they were, blown away by the amount of calls that they got within their network to help support these patients that didn't want to go to the ER or hesitant to go to the urgent care. Or they probably knew that they could get care differently. It was after hours, telemedicine isn't offered at that point. Um, but that's a creative way of, you know, sort of spreading your staff to have these different jobs. So there isn't, you were know, trying to like take that narrow path and broaden it a little bit. So there's different ways that patients can sort of engage with your health system? I would say from the physician uh, standpoint, just seeing the couple slides here around the burnout, um, something that I've seen a lot of uh, one customer told me is that they've, um, it, and they did tell me, they said it's kind of a catch-22 or double-edged sword because in order to help, we're trying to hire more, but they weren't necessarily um, talking so much about physicians, they're actually talking about the medical assistants. And so with kind of the, you know, all the tasks that um, do fall to the physician, especially as we shift to more of a value-based care world where, um, you know, a lot of providers went in to take care of patients. That's their primary goal. They just, they want to care for um, others. They want to make other people you know, feel better, make them healthy again. And then they got hit with EMRs and having to really, you know, turn their workflows upside down. I think we're kind of on the tail end of that. I think more and more um, providers now that are coming, whether it's coming out of med school into residency and um, ultimately and as they go through their careers in the healthcare profession, uh, most of them are very used to the EMR um, side of things. But now they're getting, you know, hit with, well, you have all these data elements to hit. And how do we explain that? And I think, again, having that data element, um, I've seen that a lot of the MAs are actually, when a patient comes in, if a patient comes in for a sore throat and they actually have the ability to look at data and go, ooh, actually there's much more than a sore throat. They have some quality mm -hmm. gaps or some risk gaps that we're seeing within the data. Um, I think it's, I, I don't know, I admit, I don't know the exact number, but typically about eight or nine out of 10 times, uh, the MA uh, combined with the nurse team can actually start crossing a lot of those off and addressing those. So that way, when the provider comes in, it's, yes, we want you to um, help with the sore throat and we've 
done a lot as well as uh, your, you know, as a healthcare team. But hey, there's these two things that we really think you should maybe talk to them about, whether you know, annual wellness visit or some form of screening. Um, so I do, I will say that being able to harness that data, um, having some MAs as well as nurses, and really just having a kind of that full circle of um, staff support for those physicians um, is something that I've seen that healthcare systems can leverage um, to help with that. So Jake, how, how do people or how do healthcare organizations think about creating those workflows, those processes so that uh, pieces fall into place correctly in the correct order so that the nursing staff, the MAs can get the information that they need so that when the physician walks in the door, they have everything at their fingertips and they can really have a good, meaningful conversation with their patients. Yeah, it's, it's hard that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, health systems, uh, there are some of our customers, they know their providers better than, than I do, and they know what works and also what doesn't work. And we, I've been in clinics where paper is still a thing. I mean, they still, I've, there's, it is unbelievable, but there's fax machines apparently are still a thing for a few organizations, but I also know that paper is uh, something that they do use. I had, I was physically in a PCP office um, where one of the um, practice managers said, you know, I just like printing these analytics. I like printing it every single day and like putting it up here from a pre-visit planning perspective. So we just know what to tackle as these patients come in. So from a workflow perspective, I still think there are some customizations, but again, it's being able that there's so much data out there and there's so many ways to get it. I'm not recommending here on a live stream that people go to paper, but I'm saying it's just what reality is for certain organizations. But there's data everywhere, whether it's just on your computer, um, whether it's a physician engagement tool, a web UI dashboard, et cetera. There's so many tools out there that are tailored to be tailored, if that makes sense, where you have a lot of options, but it's still showing you the same data elements to be able to tailor this to meet your workflow needs from the time that the patient walks in and meets with the front desk, you know, meet, meets with the MA, gets triage, talks to a nurse, um, and then maybe a mid-level provider or um, a doctor. So it's, it's being able to harness what's out there to tailor it to the right workflow, but it's also the patient experience too, that as they leave, they know where they need to continue with their journey. Um, if it comes to that, you know, whether they do need to see a specialist, for example. Yeah, I, I have to I have to add on to that. I'm hearing the same thing that some of our more successful clients are not rigid in their approach. So they are, you know, when we think of looking at like a risk calculation, we're looking at folks that um, have gaps in care or, you know, they haven't seen the doctor in a while. They were just discharged. Like I said before, they have comorbidities. Um, when a network is looking at that data and they're working with the practices of their health systems, they're being way more creative. You know, the, the needs of one practice to like manage, still get to the same end point and goal. Um, their journey may look a little different what they're doing with a different health system. Um, and, you know, Jake, I totally agree. Like it may feel wrong to say, like if there's a paper workflow that works with that practice, like by all means, like, print it out. If that gets you to the same place that the, the other health system that is like super tech savvy 
um, and it works for them as well. So not having this like um, really rigid uh, approach to solving these healthcare situations. Um, and and it, it, it spans the, the, the scales of, you know, your healthy patients that are coming in for your wellness visit all the way to those that are in care management programs. I think the nuance, the real complication is that networks can't, you know, they're not sort of um, working on their own agenda. You know, they have um, contractual obligations from their payers, too. And I'm sure we have some payer friends that are listening, but there's a lot of, you know, pre-authorizations and, you know, time waiting for that stuff to come through. So these health systems are are working and juggling. They're sort of like spinning all these plates of like patient care, technology, um, you know, insurance companies, tech, you know, tech vendors, all all of these things at the same time and, and trying to find the right balance. It's not an easy task for sure. I want to come back to this idea of collaboration with payers and how it can bridge the gap for some of these issues with burnout. But before we get there, I want to just switch gears really quick and talk about, um, because we talked about workflow, we talked about how hiring more MAs, nurses to kind of augment some of these processes could help. But there's also a staffing shortage going on. People are having a hard time finding folks to hire. Um, this stat here, 22% of nurses say they may leave their jobs in 2023. Why is that happening? What are you two hearing? Um, why is that happening in this moment of time? I think, uh, well, there's a lot of factors um, on this one, Mike. I actually, I know a lot of nurses. I mean, just being in the healthcare industry, uh, you know, clients that I work with, as well as friends and colleagues. Um, I have one, for example, that uh, she told me that uh, she, you know, got a travel nursing assignment and just kept extending it. And doctors, uh, nurses, they're, they're human beings. They talk and they were in the hallways and she, they started talking about compensation, um, whether they're supposed to or not, that's not for me to say, but they're human beings and they do. And even the doctors said, Oh my gosh, you're making more than we are. And it was, um, and she was just talking about the stress that she has to deal with on a day in and day out basis. And, she said, look, as soon as, you know, that's kind of taken away from me, I probably might just quit and go elsewhere and do something else. So I, I think there is um, a lot to say with, you know, the compensation has greatly uh, increased. Um, and so I think if that were to correct itself, I think you're going to see a bit of a shortage. Um, but also there's, there's a few other factors from a society perspective. I mean, uh, nurses are really, I mean, they're in the trenches with patients. And from a society standpoint, I think there's a lot of behavioral health issues um, that have always been around. I think the pandemic really expedited all of it. And nurses are in front of those patients that can get, that are going through a lot right now, just I'll put it nicely there, which adds to the stress. And um, I do know from a maybe a solution, I know we do have some social determinants of health uh, analytics out there perhaps it could help with some of that. Um, and it's the other factor too of remote working. I have a friend who's a nurse that uh, runs in her family and I know her family and her, her mom, her mom reached out to me. She's been in nursing for like 30 years 
asked her, you know, where I was at. And I said, you know, I relocated, I work remotely. And she goes, Oh my gosh, Jake, I just, I would kill to work remotely. I, I, I just would kill for that. You know, I'm just so exhausted. Um, so perhaps there is a way that some of these systems can start looking at remote working. Um, I know a mid-level provider who told me that he only goes in once a week. Uh, he goes in um, Wednesdays and on Mondays and Fridays, he works remotely just doing a lot of the orders um, just literally on his couch. So perhaps it can't, you know, these health systems can maybe start looking across the board from the remote standpoint. It goes into the data analytics as well. I had customers at Aggregate go, we can't get data analysts to save our lives as, as well. So I think there's a lot of factors. Um, I think when it comes to the remote working, you know, again, providers, they're human beings. They have friends and family that during this pandemic have are all working remotely. And I think sometimes they say, well, we'd like that too. So is there a way to find that? I think with technology, I think there is. Um, but there will always be the society and cost component that I think no one really has a true answer for. But there are ways to harness the technology to help. And Jesse, with that idea of um, remote work in mind, you also brought up a client who set up a nursing line yep. earlier in the conversation. Are there other models um, that we could explore, you know, we probably don't have the answer today, but are yeah. there other models that technology can enable to get us closer to that perfect world that we want to want to build for our, our staff? I mean, it exists today, you know, and it's just not telemedicine is, you know, very hot and cold. And it's really hard to figure out, are, are, is it not being marketed appropriately? Are providers not thrilled about using the technology? Did, did it not work for them? Are they trying to manage their in-office in um, televisit time? Um, it's a real conundrum. I actually asked, I hosted a panel at Aggregate, and I asked that very question. And um, there's, you know, the... They're, they're working to increase that volume, but I think there's a lot of education that could go out um, to patients about their options for telemedicine. Um, my partner it has his endo call him once a month, I think, when his appointment is um, on a televisit, um, a phone call just to do a, a check-in. Um, so it's very possible. It just depends on the provider or the network's appetite to promote this technology. I think that's something that's just not getting used. I know as a consumer myself of, you know, and I also have two little kids, um, very rarely is that an option. I heard someone at the conference, I was sort of sharing my own personal story that I'm like, I very rarely hear a televisit option for me or my kids and then someone said, you know, if you if you tell them, you know, if it's a if it's a medication check in visit or something like that they definitely can do that virtually. I'm like that option hasn't been shared with me. I think that's a really good example of where um, we need to be way more creative to solve these really simple problems that can help us in the long term, because right now we're really busy solving the really, really hard 
hard problems. We sick patients, their, their journey of healthcare is super, super complex. There's a lot of people in their medical home trying to get them the care they need, but we have a huge population of people that if we get them on the right track, um, we can avoid some of these, you know, maybe part of the burnout is just, you know, the state of health, um, with our population today. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big proponent for telemedicine, even though it's not being offered to me, but I do think it's, it exists today. We don't have to invent anything new. We just need to, to get it out there. Yeah. I, I love my, my telemedicine visits with my physician or like being able to jump in my app and send a text message yeah. or receive a text, text message reminder. Those are all really important to me. The, the less I could go to the doctor's office, the happier I am. Yeah. But yeah. um, I, I love this idea, Jesse, of these, this concept keeps coming up, quick wins. You know, Rome wasn't built yeah. in a day, but it can make small progress over time. Um, the, the last data point I have kind of brings all this together. 43% um, of executives reported losing revenue to pa patient leakage. And I think, you know, these ideas of good design, good patient experience, having the provider get the information they need so they can have productive, constructive conversations with their patients, get them the care they need when they yeah. need it. All of these things contribute to, I guess, the inverse of patient uh, leakage, which is patient keepage. Um, how does good patient experience and, you know, back to that concept of solid design and health technology, how does it lead to a greater engagement for patients? I mean, I it's the same reason I have a very specific Starbucks I go to, and the same reason I've chosen the Wegmans that's a little bit further down the road from Stop and Shop. It's it the reasons are not different. It's convenience, it's a good it's a good experience that I'm having. Um, you know, maybe one's a little bit more expensive, but my time and my, the, the value I hold in a good experience sometimes outweighs costs. So I'm not always looking for the cheapest op option. Um, but that that's not unlike, you know, what patients um, are experiencing, like I said before, in the doctor's office, in the hospital. Um, I think, Mike, I shared with you that my hairdresser um, using data had noticed, you know, seasonally, and maybe they didn't need data to figure this out, but they could see during in their appointment tech, you know, um, application that they use, that there's a surge of appointments that sort of close out their year. So they're like, we don't want you to be disappointed. We are booking up fast. And we've seen this year over year. So give us a call today and book two appointments out. Like, that's an amazing customer experience. Like I, that's my salon for life. Like that it's, it's that simple. And, and we have it in healthcare. We have patient campaigns. They don't just have to remind you that you need a mammogram or you need to come in for your, your annual well visit. It can say other things like, Hey, we've got flu shots in stock. Come, you know, we've opened out office hours, you know, come meet us at blah, blah, blah to get your flu shot or, we can be a little bit more creative and copy some of the things other industries are doing. You know, that's, that's a large part of patient experience. I have um, other friends that tell me about their experience. I think I was mentioning before with a blood lab is in there. They're like, Oh, where I, where I go to the doctor, 
downstairs is the pharmacy, the blood draw labs upstairs. It's great. I just come in, like a place to drop my kids off. You know, there's a little, little barista in the building. They've sort of thought of everything. And, and it really makes me think about changing doctors. I mean, maybe I'm simple, but um, life's too short. I want a good experience. And I want to, you know, I, that's part of, you know, folks getting very engaged in their healthcare. Design, design, design. I mean, the yeah, experience I, I, want is... a, I want a provider where I can go and grab a cappuccino. That sounds. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a decaf, but, but yeah, absolutely. I do think the experience, you know, it, it really is key. Um, I think an overarching thing that none of a, no one can control when it does come to leakage is let's be real with the pandemic. A lot of people relocated um, all over the country. So people left their networks and I think mm -hmm. a lot of health systems didn't even know that. That's something that you can utilize the data to at least just see potentially for certain instances where you might be able to see they left um, or maybe enrolled in another plan. Um, but that's something that I think, you know, I don't see health systems really paying, tracking as much attention to. But when it does come to the patient experience um, and when it comes to leakage, um, I know that we actually have um, people much smarter than me created this, but they actually have algorithms. Um, si similar to what uh, Jesse said in terms of, you know, they were able to identify that you know, she needs to book an appointment. Um, we actually have algorithms out there that can actually track members and say, hey, actually this patient is 10 times more likely to leave your network. Mm -hmm. uh, don't ask me how we do that um, because their engineers much smarter than I am, but they do use data to find that. Um, and that's where it does come to, you know, reaching out to those patients. We've been talking about televisits. I had strep throat like four months ago and it was awful because I got it like, I'm pretty sure I got like the day of my flight. So I just like feel miserable. I'm like against the window. Like just really just wanted to not be anywhere. And I was struggling just to find like get to an urgent care as soon as I landed before, you know, nightfall. So that way I could get an antibiotic. I would have loved to have been able to just go, I know what this is. Here's symptoms. You know, I get my antibiotic and be on my way and not have to go to the doctor if that was at all possible. So I think being able to uh, utilize data, track where, where is the leakage occurring, and then track into the why. Is it because it's a special specialist that's not in our network that we need in our network? Is it maybe because of geo geography? Is it social determinants of health? Is it something that we don't even know about that the data can tell mm -hmm. us though? Um, there's a lot there that I think is unfortunately somewhat turning into a back burner um, when it comes to referral management. I think before, before the pandemic, Referral management was a big buzzword because what you would see is a patient comes in and, well, I need to see a specialist, you know, whether it's a cardiologist or an orthopedic surgeon. And what, what do doctors do? They go, oh, well, I know these people personally in town or I know this one or I went to med school with this one. And that's how they would refer where now it's, no, you actually have a network um, that you, can, you should be referring them to uh, that has high quality at a lower cost. Um, that was really big before the pandemic. I think that with the pandemic, uh, and I could be wrong, but I think what I've observed is that the pandemic has caused so many more challenges that the leakage is kind of in referral management. Is, it's there, but it's taken a little bit of a back burner. So it'll be interesting um, as people settle down, they've you know maybe re relocated or not relocated. I think that as we get into 2023, leakage is going to be something that should definitely be looked at.
I mean, I think there's cases where patients don't even know they have leaked out of the network. So, um, you know, there's this, and that's what I was saying before with, you know, these networks have these competing priorities of like, um, you know, there's a business model for a hospital to have those beds filled, um, but there's competing priorities with the payer to reduce cost. And, you know, we, we don't, we want to have this very moral approach to patient care. Um, and I think if you want to have a full fledged, uh, robust network, um, understanding the care that your patients need. So if they need to see a chiropractor to avoid getting a lower back x-ray um, that leads them to the hospital for necessary surgery, you want to make sure that your providers are educated about the peers that are in their, you know, what, what's, who is their people toolkit. toolkit. Um, and a big part of that leakage, I do believe, is patients getting referred almost accidentally out of the network um, to specialists um, just because that there's either that specialist not available in that network or the PCP probably isn't even aware um, that they just sent their patient out um, and you just hope that they come back. Um, so there's, there's again, it's, it's that education, uh, making sure our provider friends are in the fold with, you know, how this business is, operates and, and, all those details. So leakage is a really weird um, concept for sure. And it can also be a little dicey, I would say, to a degree from the payer. I know we have a lot of payer and uh, provider friends out there. Um, But I did have an instance where a customer came and said, wow, we, you know, we really wanted to look at leakage and we see a lot of data here, it says unknown. And when we looked at the source data, it's because um, at the source, the data that we were receiving had, did not have the rendering facility on there. Mm-hmm. Um, so therefore, and I, you know, customers said, well, what about the attribution? And when I said, well, yeah, that's there, but that doesn't mean, you know, I see the patient, I know who they're attributed to, we got that, but I didn't see where they got their rendering facility and services from. Um, but that data, I mean, it's just not there. And immediately this, customer went, that's a problem because we actually have a data use agreement with that particular source that says they need to show that. Um, essentially, it was out of network and the data wasn't that sent to us wasn't showing that. But again, it goes into, you know, as they start discussing within a network, whether it's within the provider friends or payer friends or both, that they were actually able to showcase that and say, hey, here's a data element that we really need to see and here's why we need to see that. Um, so it's things like that that can really help with the transparency. But again, it gets a little dicey just due to data, you know, data sharing agreements, et cetera. Um, but it is just something worth noting that when it does within the data, that's how they found it. Jesse, Jake, I wish we had more time to dig into this idea of payer provider collaboration and the idea of data sharing maybe we should book another time in the future, have you two back and discuss that in a future episode of Vitals. But um, I just want to ask you one last question here real quick. We talked about a lot of different challenges today. I think everybody's probably nodding their heads, watching this, listening in that, yeah, these are problems that we're concerned about, that we're currently facing, that we're preparing to face. Um, Collectively, if we solve some of these challenges, what happens? Let's look forward a little bit. What's that cosmic shift that's going to happen? 
if we if we are successful in this. I mean, I think a, a, a solution would be a more informed patient. Um, and the the outcome would be a well-oiled machine of patients getting the right level of care and being completely informed about the care that they need um, and, and how to maintain that. Um, it, it really involves, I think, that the hospitals and health systems have been doing a ton of work, um, really complex work, trying to crack this nut. And I think it's it's important to get the voice of the patient, voice of the customer, voice of the consumer as a role in those model changes to sort of mature with what the patients need. We're seeing patients that want to be um, more involved and, and they're way more well-informed. So um, I think we'll see healthier patients um, that are way more engaged and hopefully we'll see way less burnout with uh, physicians and nurses. James? There's something to be... There's something to be said that technology, we had our keynote last year, it said, you know, technology isn't fast until it is. Um, and it was, there's, you know, he used a lot of, you know, stats. I mean, think about your cell phones, social media, internet, et cetera, that you don't think it's fast until you look back and realize it really is. And, and in regards to healthcare, it's, you're starting to see this shift to value-based care I think, you know, the fee-for-service value base, um, it's going to, it's still going to linger, you know, fee-for-service, I don't see going away, you know, overnight. Um, but with value-based care, you do see that shift in risk. And I think it's, um, how do you spread the risk to make sure that the burden isn't just, just doesn't fall to one um, individual? As Jesse mentioned, I think a big one is patient education. I think the more educated patients are, the more, the better experience that they have it leads to that well-oiled machine. It leads to uh, less burnout just because the patient's, you know, a lot more knowledgeable of where they need to be and when. Um, and being able to harness data, I think, in the future, it's at some point in time, we're not quite there yet, but I think it, it really will be you know, how fast can we get the data um, in front of providers' hands. Um, I had one chief medical officer that said, you know, or former chief medical officer that said, uh, you know, once we had the payer data and they were also a payer and a provider. So he said we kind of could do this faster, but it was getting that payer data in front of the provider right away um, without lag. Will we get there? Uh, we'll see. But I think being it's it's all different components. It's, it's being able to leverage data, get, getting that to um, those health systems providers and grinding that in their workflow to become a well-oiled machine educating those patients and, and increasing that patient experience um, to really be a team effort to lower the burden. Jake, Jesse, thanks so much for joining us today and sharing your insights, the customer stories that you're hearing and your expertise. And thank all of you who are listening in. We really appreciate your support. You can go to arcadia.io slash vitals to hear more episodes like these tune in live on a future episode or get show notes uh, for this episode and others. Uh, we really appreciate you being here and we'll see you next time.